Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the Watchmen comic. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. On this podcast, we talk about games. But we also talk about all the other stuff that the nerd crew talks about in the Red Letter Media videos. And (laughs) I feel dirty about that. Uh, One of those things... Just get excited for new product. (laughs) Yeah, I'm very excited for new product, dude. Uh, One of those things is... um, Watchmen, right? Watchmen is a <clears throat> tour de force at the moment just because we are in the midst of the nine episode run of its first season as the HBO show. And so we thought in the lead up to the final episode, um, which will be playing in mid December, we would cover first the Watchmen comic, next the Watchmen movie, and lastly the first season of Watchmen television. Uh, and we're, yeah, we're at the first part of that little trilogy today, which is the comic, which I reread over the course of the weekend. Yeah. Did, and, yeah, like, wow. I haven't read Watchmen in a while. I've read Watchmen dozens of times. Probably, I mean, easily, like, 25 times. But it's actually been a couple of years since I've read the comic, uh, kind of cover to cover. Um, and I have to say that I, I'm a little floored by how much my... Uh, perception of the comic has changed in that time. Yeah, no, I I, uh, I hadn't read it since high school, um, so it's been a good ten years since I since I read it the first time. Um, uh, and there is stuff that I definitely forgot, but stuff that I I'm that I also remembered. So you know, it's it's uh, it's been uh, an, an interesting retread. Um, just for context, you are currently watching the show. I'm not planning on watching the show until after we finish um, our next episode. I'm not going to be talking about the show and the right. movie. Obviously, we're going to deal with that stuff in the next week's episodes. This is solely comics time. Sure. Just, but just to be clear to, to the audience, this is what's kind of maybe yeah. flavoring our our uh, percent. Like, I have not seen the movie since it was in theaters either. So, um, for me, it's at this point, it's pretty purely just a comic with, with you know, whatever um, – Kind of memes have entered the uh, the the, uh, the the zeitgeist, whereas Buddy's probably got a little bit more more of that influence. So um, perhaps that leads to a difference in perspective. But um, what what are your what are your kind of opening thoughts on on man? What are my opening thoughts? Uh, so here's an interesting one. In high school, I found Rorschach a lot more sympathetic than I do now. Um, I mean, so here's the thing. I, I've done a lot of, like, deep dives into Watchmen over the years. So, like, there's a lot of little tiny secrets that, like, I have picked up on or I've read about or, you know, somebody has pointed out to me or whatever. And so it's rare that I can, like, reread Watchmen and, like, catch something I didn't catch the first time. Um, but, uh, but, like, the context is always so different. Um, and I think just, like, in the world before, you know, I don't know, before my own kind of late 20s sort of political understanding, right, where I kind of, like, first engaged with, like, politics in a, in a, in a really powerful way, I didn't quite realize how much the, the comic book was, like, really attacking, like, Okay, so in issue, like, seven or something, the back bit that's typically prose is an article from the right-wing New Frontiersman, and it's, like, straight out of fucking Breitbart, dude. Like, the comic is, like, a Ben Carrison cartoon that could come out today. I was, like, floored by that. And that's obviously very context-dependent, but... 
Yeah, I mean, but I think part of it too is it was that was a Ben Garrison comic that could have come out when he published the book, right? Or at least in 2010 mm. or 2008, rather, when when the movie came out. Um, like the you know Ben Garrison's been at this for a long time. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But your, your your point is well taken. Kind of the flip side of that is I found um, I found uh, Doctor Manhattan and and Ozzy Mendias like much more insufferable than I did when I was in high school, right? Like just like like they just like kind of exude this like I'm so like like especially Ozzy Mendias because it's kind of like I'm so smart type of stuff. Um, and, and along the same lines as as, as you, right? Like I didn't remember the hard edges on on Warshak and uh while we we've, I think we've discussed this before I don't know if we've done it on the cast but while I still ultimately think that like in terms of the the main plot Warshak has the right of it um, oh man I mean, we, well, I'm sure we'll get I'm sure we'll get into this we'll that, get that, there we'll get there dude. <laughs> that, that doesn't mean I think that that Warshak is kind of like the the uh the end all be all of, of like what is correct right so mm. um like I, I can endorse his perspective on the truth without endorsing his views on like I don't know homosexuality and drugs. Um, so yeah, and killing the dog. I actually, you know, it's funny because I very vividly remember him killing the dogs. Right? right, you know, it's part of his like Rorschach test thing. In that, like, I think the episode or the uh, the issue is titled "Into the Abyss" and it's the Nietzsche quote. But um, I I didn't quite. I think I was just much more willing to sympathize with Rorschach when I was younger. Um, and now it's much harder for me to do that because I just find him very uh, uh, repulsive. I find I find him insufferable um, in in a lot of different, you know, like in a lot of different kind of ways. Um, but like killing the dogs is something that I kind of forgot about in a real like emotional sort of way, because like we can all probably agree that like this guy who like rapes and tortures a kid and then feeds her body to his dogs is like evil. Right. But like the dogs are, you know, they're, they're not sapient, right. They're just animals. And so Rorschach butchering the dogs as his, in in part of his kind of like misplaced rage at the injustice of the crime is like that's the step too far you know in a sort of way that's like god damn Rorschach man what the fuck is wrong with you right but, but, but that's his, the point uh, right like that's that's like that's supposed to be his breaking point where he really like loses it right where no sure 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 but I, so before in that breaking point I was willing to empathize with Rorschach and be like I get it you know like this is a person who's like stared into like the moral deep black abyss of right people and you know confronted that injustice with like unbridled rage and anger um now i'm just like why did you kill the fucking dogs rorschach jesus do you know what i mean he feels a lot more like i mean a serial killer in my in my like recent read through than he does in my older one the other one is the way he treats lori I don't know why I never picked up on this before, but just, like, he is such a dismissive piece of shit to Lori. He just refuses to ever, like, engage with her on a real level at all and is constantly, like, shitting on her. And I was just like, wow, Rorschach, what a fucking asshole, dude. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, but, like, that's, like, that's, like, his puritanism, right? Like, like yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, 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 I agree with you, right? Like, like, he's, like he's not I, supposed I, to be a good guy. I don't think anybody's yeah. supposed to be, like... Oh, absolutely a, not. A good character, except for maybe Night Owl and uh, and Spectre. Oh, I think Night Owl is pathetic in a in a way, but like, and right, that but makes he's him human. sort of innocent. 
Yeah. But I don't think he's a good guy any more than any of the rest of them are. I think the the central thesis of Watchmen is that all of like all of these superheroes are bad people. Sure. Well, yeah. It's I mean, you know, it's some something it's kind of like the, uh, this is something that I heard on a a video or a podcast, I forget which at some point in time is like it's about kind of the in- inherent fascism of like super beings, right? Like um, especially when it comes to say to say uh, Doctor Manhattan, since he is like a super being rather than just kind of like mm-hmm. a, a vigilante. But you know, it's... well, I do think it stretches across the political spectrum. In oh, you know, sure. like, obvi- like Ozymandias is very strongly right, like centered on on the left end of the spectrum, and he is just as terrible, right, as everybody else. I mean, arguably, he's the worst because he does like the most harm yeah. in a certain sort of sense, right? Yeah, um, I mean, he's in some ways like a uh, like a condemnation of like pure intellectualism, right? Like, I mean, if if, if we want to draw the parallels, it's kind of like like facts, not feelings, taken to its most extreme end, right? Like he's. He's done the calculations, and this is like the, the the calculation that yields the best result. And he convinces John of that, who's kind of like, you know, this this American god, um, and uh, and and you know, it, it results in him hatching this plot to like kill everyone, right? Like this is yeah. And I think that that reversal, right? Like the ultimate yeah. thing with Ozymandias is that in order to be a superhero, you have to be a supervillain in a sen- in sense, right? Like. And he is the only one that successfully sort of completes the mission of superheroism. And he does it at this insane cost that you can't, he's, you know what I mean? Like, and that's sort of the paradox, right? Because like, in a certain sense, he's a little bit like Thanos, right? Yeah, he's, he's a like, noble villain. Right. But like on the, on the, uh, I mean, you and I will differ on this. I think Ozymandias is ultimately correct because the story does, like, set up the stakes. Like, this is the problem with Thanos. Thanos was incorrect, and he refused to kind of allow anyone to dissuade him that the ends he was going for were just, right? But I think the comic comes down on Ozymandias' side, right? That, yes, World War III was about to happen. Nukes were going to fly crazy amounts of people were going to die and Ozymandias prevented that and that is a good thing right but it is also a bad thing at the same time and like it's that sort of like twisting of it that makes this so much harder for for you know like this is what shatters the superheroism of it does that make sense yeah um I, I don't know if the comic comes down like I think the comic comes down kind of in the middle because like that's that's I think the purpose of the kind of denouement where the uh, where the, where the new frontiersman like finds Warshak's journals kind of revealing the fact like you know that that potentially and like leaves that open right like leaves it open that like the plot gets discovered mm-hmm. um, I think it's I I think it's just trying to strike a balance there right like like interpretable I guess is the, the best way to put it but I definitely yeah, I see mean, your I, point you know I, I, I don't think that Wa- I think Watchmen has a lot of different points in a lot of different sort of directions but at the end of the day it is something of kind of like a Rosetta Stone or like a kaleidoscope right, you know yeah. what I mean where like what each person sees is going to be a little bit like or, or like, like a Rorschach test oh my god <laughs> oh my god oh, okay good one well so you know but like you know something for instance that I think really undermines I, I just, I loathe Rorschach. <laughs> Something that I think really, like, undermines Rorschach's point of view um, 
for instance, is sort of the inherent hypocrisy of his sort of positioning and decision making, right? Like, so in the case files that you read sort of halfway into the book, right, um, that, uh, that I think are actually after that sort of therapist, psychologist issue, um, the case files that you read include a section where he talks about, you know, President Truman and how dropping the bomb on uh, dropping the bomb on Japan at the end of World War Two was like a good thing, um, and, and whatever, and like that juxtaposed with Ozymandias is doing the exact same thing, right? But he is uncompromising because the moral sort of source of the of the crime is that someone got murdered and he refuses to let that murderer get away with it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's, like, I think that if you want, like, I, I see the, the the point that you're making. I think it's very valid. But I think if you do want to, like, I don't think it's, like, totally unambiguously, uh, what's sort of, uh, like, hypocritical, right? Like, I think you can make the case that there is that there is a meaningful difference there, right? Like, acts of war versus kind of, like, you know, like a, an invented thing. And not only that, but, you know, it's not like, it's not like, Truman dropped the bomb and blamed it on space aliens, right? Like to to really put a put a pin on it. Um, yeah. Um, and I, like it, like like I said, that, that does make a it does make a lot of sense. And and I don't think that Warshak is the like perfect avatar of his values either, right? Like um, I think the much simpler and easier case to be made is that like he abhors like murderers and rapists, but excuses the comedian. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, he empathizes with the comedian. The way he talks, he fought over the it, fucking comedian. I think empathizes is too strong. I think it's more sympathizes, right? Because, like, I, I always got the impression that Rorschach never really knew the comedian that well and, like, viewed him kind of with that, like, distant uh, kind of heroism for, like, you know, like, patriotism rather than kind of like a, a personal knowledge. Like, my impression is that no one understands the comedian's war crimes, basically, except for, say, Dr. Manhattan. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, I don't know, maybe, I guess. But I do think that the book does, it goes out of its way to sort of a lot, you know, like, even when he is talking to Lori about her own mother's rape, he is saying that the comedian died for his country, right? Yeah. Um, which is just, like, I mean, part of this is just, obviously, Rorschach is, I mean, misogynistic is kind of, like, the wrong way to put it, in a way, but, like, he he's obviously. a Puritan. He's a moral Puritan, right? Like he's like he hates he hates sexuality. He's uncomfortable with sexuality, which is clearly like a it's, yeah. It's easy. It's it's like it was supposed to be a psychosis from his mother, or like some weird kind of reference to to the, the kind of belief that 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 kind of thing gives you a psychosis. I don't know if it's that matter or not, but mm-hmm. um um, and you know he's what was the other thing like like the 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 woman that owns his apartment, um. Uh, his landlady, like he softens on her when he goes back to retrieve his his uh, his journal and his second costume. Um, like he he does leave her alone. He he does compromise with her. And I don't know if that's supposed to be character growth or if it's supposed to be just kind of showing that he's like not totally heartless. I, I wasn't quite sure how to how to read that, but I mean, yeah. Well, so also Night Owl interrupts him and it's like, come on, we got to go. Um, though I do think the moment is more personal for Rorschach because. Yeah. Like, it's literally a panel of him looking at the kid, and then his face, as he looks at the kid, uh, 
where and then he backs off so i think it is kind of like yeah. a more personalized thing i think this is part of why i used to sympathize with rorschach when i was younger i would i'm over in a certain sense i would overemphasize moments like that or like at the end when he says that dan is a good you know he's like your good friend right and that they have this little um moment of connect, like reconnection that just like those are the redeeming moments for rorschach and those are the moments that make you want to like him and then there are the moments like you know whatever killing the dogs or just like being a piece of shit to like laurie and those are the things that i was underemphasizing. i was ignoring right. those things in a certain sense and in the same way right that that same sort of stuff happens with every character i think i used to probably emphasize em, um empathize most with night owl because he seems the most altruistic in a in a way uh but this read through i just couldn't help but just find him extremely, extraordinarily pathetic. Uh, like, it, it's clear to me, I, I don't think he is altruistic. I think he goes adventuring because it makes him feel like a man, and that's it. I mean, yeah. That, I mean, like, the, the I, I, had, I think I just missed this the first time around because I, I guess I, I didn't have an eye for it. But that fight scene where it's, like, you know, it's basically supposed to be, like, the, him and the specter having sex. Um, mm. uh like I think that that just kind of is is the full, uh, and the fact that he can't get it up unless he's wearing the fucking costume. I forgot. No, about that, that. like that's exactly yeah. it, right? And he says like I feel so powerful, right? I right. feel so confident when he's like flying. And it's like, listen, I mean, part of, and part of that is true, right? Like these are altruistic in a certain sense byproducts, um, but they come from a very self motivated place, which is which is or like self centered place, which is what I think ultimately like Watchmen's critique of superheroes are. Right, yeah. um, is that they are motivated primarily by their own selfish psychoses, rather than by any greater sense for kind of heroism or uh, or justice. Right, even like I, I used to think that the original Night Owl, um, the Hollis Mason who writes Under the Hood, was the avatar for this, and him getting killed by the Not Tops. By the way, as a direct result of Dan's actions. Um, it's funny because like he blames it on the mask. He's like, Oh, this mask killer has gone too far. But if you actually like follow the, you know, like the line of logic, the not, he breaks into jail, frees Rorschach and the not tops are like, Oh my God, night owl lives here. Let's go beat him up for doing something awful. Right. Um, and, uh, and this is part of, you know, like this is part of their sort of like selfishness. I used to think Hollis was the selfless guy, right? He was like the selfless masked Avenger who was representing that kind of sort of, uh, altruism. But even in under the hood, he kind of gives the game away a little bit because he talks about it being fun. And he talks about how he was instilled with a certain kind of like country living morality that didn't even hold up to any scrutiny because, domestic violence and racism and all this other stuff is like prevalent throughout the and so like even he's sort of like adventuring for this this uh uh self self-satisfying goal in a way do you know what i mean yeah yeah no i i, I definitely do I, I think he might be like the best of them except for like maybe just a couple like maybe captain marvelous just because he doesn't really get a lot of screen time Oh, Captain uh, Metropolis? Yeah, that one. Sorry, Captain yeah. Metropolis. Um, yeah, I mean, even Captain Metropolis is fucking racist. 
Hooded Justice like talks about you know and then like the, all he's this like stuff a, is in a Third Reich sympathizer, right? Yeah, he's this... a Third Reich sympathizer. But he's, yeah. he's I mean, also... the, and then and then uh, there's also he's like, he's Hooded gay Justice. with uh with 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 Metropolis, right? Like yeah, that's... he and Captain Metropolis are both gay, and um and Hooded Justice is probably into some of the rougher stuff. Because of the way, you know, like, is this... Yeah, that's the interaction with the comedian. He has that interaction with the comedian. There's the note in Laurie's scrapbook that talks about how he goes out with the boys and comes back and it's like, you know, all bruises and stuff like that. So, like, obviously, you know, even, like, Hooded Justice is to a certain extent sadistic. So there is just... There there is no purity, right? Like, there... I mean, maybe you could... Maybe you could make the, the argument that Dr. Manhattan is by virtue of the same argument that, uh... Oh God! Who is it that makes that argument? Uh, somebody says, "Like, what's the difference? You know, like which ant do you prefer?" Oh, Adrian makes this. He says it in his interview in one of the back uh, back pieces. He says, "Which do you prefer, black ants or red ants?" And the guy's like, "I don't have a preference." It's like now you understand Doctor Manhattan kind of thing, right? And I think you know. So maybe you could make an argument that by just being completely devoid of all of this stuff, you know, and bigger than all of it, um, right? But he he's also like basically detached right like yeah, yeah. like like you know laurie has to, and like, maybe that is its own moral failing right yeah it's, yeah you know um yeah i mean i i think i think this comes down to kind of like the the hair that you split out on like what like you know somebody doing it for personal satisfaction but that has like positive byproducts right like or is doing it because they think they're doing a good thing and and you know, mm. you know you make the argument that they're really just doing it because it makes them feel good. Like, I feel like that's, like, a little bit purer than is doing it to, like, I don't know, like, it's a little bit purer than, like, say, Rorschach, who's basically a psychopath, um, or, like, the comedian who's... Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. in a certain sense, I almost group, like, Rorschach, Ozymandias, and the comedian on a, like, lower tier in a way like yeah. night owl is selfish in the way that i've laid out but he's like ultimately pretty harmless yeah whereas like rorschach is literally a serial killer right the comedian is basically a nazi <laughs> right I don't, and I, don't if, uh, I don't know if nazi quite fits but he, he definitely committed some war crimes like I mean, he absolutely committed some war crimes. He assassinated JFK. He uh, the, part of this is all subtext, so it, not necessarily like like the comedian kills Hooded Justice is is my read of the subtext, and the comedian also killed JFK is my other read of the subtext. Um, and like, I don't know, assassinating your political rivals, like. The way I don't, I don't know, he's pretty rough. The comedian. Yeah. Oh no. He, he like I think he's probably the worst because like he doesn't even have any pretense of being good, right? That's like true. yeah, Ro- that's interesting. Yeah. Like R- Rorschach is basically like you know like um, Draco maybe right? Like um, you know like he he's 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 harsh, but like he's at least he's following a code and he he's working towards like a, a morality that he's established flawed as it may be, whereas the comedian is just, like, literally out for himself without any pretense. In a certain um, sense, and this is sort of what I like about, you know, um, what I like about, like, the comic in general. It's I, I sort of think the comedian Ozymandias and Rorschach are all sort of, like, reacting to the same sort of thing, right? Like, Watchmen paints a very bleak picture of society, and in a certain sense, all of them have a correct diagnosis 
that like society is fucked, people are terrible, everything is awful, and they react to it differently. Like Rorschach reacts to it by kind of behaving like an antibody, right? Where he, um, you know, he's going around and he's finding individual people that are doing things wrong and butchering them for it, right? The comedian reacts to it by saying, I have a past to do whatever the fuck I want and just completely sinks down to that level without giving a shit. And Ozymandias is the person who says, well, I don't need to attack, like, individual, you know, cancer cells. I need to do chemo, and that's going to have a lot of collateral damage, but you can't, you know, make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. And so all of them sort of, like, descend into the depths of their own sort of evil in a way but they're all like different and and specialized i think i would agree with you that the comedian is ultimately the very worst character just because because he has you know no redeeming uh like with ozymandias you can make the argument well the world would have blown up without him with rorschach you can make the argument well at least he's holding true to right like a moral code yeah, and, and has and the right targets with comedian, you really can't make any argument about he that at all. He shoots a woman. He got pregnant, and like, like, oh man, right? Like, yeah, and, I, I, for, I, I, I didn't forget about that, but like, I also just forgot the callousness of it. Yeah, because um, it's just so like quick, and it just happens, and I, and you just sit there, and honestly, I feel like you know, like I feel a little bit like. Dr. Manhattan in that moment. And I sort of feel, feel like the comedian dressing down Dr. Manhattan. He's is a absolutely bit, right, right? Like, you could have I mean, he is, me. yeah, he is absolutely correct. But also, just like, you didn't leave a lot of time to react, buddy. Come on, man. Yeah. Like, give the guy a break. Yeah. I wonder how much Dr. Manhattan is supposed to be like. Like, his. Like, honestly, I find, like, the, the stuff about him like talking like not like perceiving time the same way to be kind of not the best like i just i mean part of it is 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 i i don't like a lot of time travel stories in the first place because i think it's very hard to be consistent with them without like kind of like shedding a lot of weird assumptions um but i think that like i think that like part of it is just like he's he's frozen by his inability to kind of like he he, he he feels like he's resigned to fate in a way, yeah. um, which is interesting. Um, I don't know if it's supposed to be like nihilistic or whatever, but I, I think that's like his flaw, right? Like, like I, th- I, I think at the end of the day, Doctor Manhattan, in a certain sense, he kind of bundles up all super like powered superhuman, like superhumanity, kind of all in one. But his ultimate sort of point of view is that like, if you are superhuman, you are like you are detached from humanity. Right. Right. Um, and that, like, you know, Superman would never be Clark Kent, essentially, is kind of like the understanding that you get out of uh, yeah. Dr. Manhattan's philosophy. And, and, and I, I get that, but I also feel like part of that, part of, like, the thing that I think undercuts that is that, or undercuts that particular relation, like, the, the Superman relationship, is that, like, it feels like a lot of this is tied to his inability to perceive time like a normal person, and, and so, yeah. like, it feels like like not only does he not care, but he he like it, he gives a strong impression that he feels powerless, right? Like, um, well, so that's interesting because he doesn't frame it that way. He doesn't even frame it with his con- like. This is the part of the, that pisses me off about Doctor Manhattan when he has the conversation with Laurie, 
and he says you know, like, time is a diamond that humans insist on viewing one facet at a time. It's like, fuck you, dude. I can't yeah. choose the way, you know what I mean? Like, I'd love to see all of time stretched out before me, you asshole. Um, but, uh, so, like, you know, he is simultaneously sort of, like, powerless, um, but also, like, I think it's supposed to be nihilism. Humanity. Yeah, 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 that's fair. I also sort of think, um... I also sort of think that the the book sort of dodges it raises the powerlessness question, but just kind of almost in like a lampshade way. Like yeah. Laurie says, like, oh, you're just like a puppet, and he's like, we're all just puppets. I can just see the strings, and then they just move on to a completely different set of conversation. Right? I mean, she, she embraces the point several times. Like, why are we doing this if you know how it's going to turn out? Right? Like, um, like he's like, you're gonna tell me that you you were sleeping with with Dan, and he's like. And, and I, I will be, like, surprised. And he's like, wait, you just said you knew. He's like, you knew I was sleeping with Dan. He's like, you're sleeping with Dan, right? Like, it's, it's almost like a, a freaking comedy act. But, like, it's, I don't know. It's, 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 uh, it's weird. So, something, something like I completely forgot, like, that, that I didn't, like, he says how little screen time Adrian himself really has, right? Like, he's, mm. he's in the, the book is mostly, um, it's mostly, I think, Night Owl and Spectre's story, right? Like, does that seem about right? And, and a lot of Rorschach. Well, too, right? I, you know, I think Rorschach too drives, um, like his obviously his mass killer theory kind of provides the the backbone. Um, but like, it is the other, it is like the other characters that we spend a lot of time with, especially in that middle section, right? Like, this also happens with John, uh, where he is there and the focus of the fourth issue, which I would actually argue is probably the best one, where it like talks about his kind of backstory and experiences right, right, or yeah. whatever. Um, but then he doesn't really show up again until he's just like sitting there in Dan's house, right? Um, or, for instance, uh, Adrian, who, like, pops up here and there a little bit. You get, like, these little, like, interactions with him, but then the back half focuses on him quite a bit, right? He has his whole big speech to his, like, three Vietnamese guys. He gets two whole back chapters to himself. Um, That's fair. That's fair. So, I, I think Adrian is probably the character that I find most, uh, like, interesting and compelling on, like, re rereading things. Um, just because, like, there's so much going on with him, and it doesn't take... And you get there all at the end, in a way. Like, so, for instance, this is probably my favorite piece of all of Watchmen, right? Uh, people people don't understand the comic book interlude, right, that happens kind of in that... It's not even a B story. It's like an F story, right? With the Tales of the Black Freighter and the guy he gets marooned on the island, then he rides the raft, kills the shark, returns to, you know, Davidstown, his home, and he kills his wife, and then he joins the like the damned crew on the Black Freighter. All of that is a mirror for Adrian. Because at the very end of the book, he talks about having these dreams where he's swimming towards... I think he says, like, I've been having these dreams where I'm swimming toward a massive... Oh, never mind, right? And it's a very, like, scant thing. But it's also, like, it's the, it's the connective tissue where Adrian is damning himself so thoroughly. Um... By, by kind of uh, following through his, you know, like following through on his convictions or whatever. Man, that's just so good. <laughs> no, it is. It, it is excellent. Like there are also lines that I that I um, I'd forgot about. Like, 
like Rorschach calling New York an abattoir for tarted children. It was just like, <laughs> yeah. um, of course, it was like the famous like "you're stuck in here with me" type stuff. Uh, yeah, you know, I like I, I did it thirty minutes ago, right? Like that's just like, like I remember the, like the first time I read that, just being like, I, you know, it, it's it's such like such a subversion of the trope, right? Like, mm-hmm. um. <sighs> You know, it's funny, as, uh, when I was reading it this time, I couldn't help but, like, feel... I think Watchmen is a really good example of how, like, modern critical practices that we've criticized on this podcast, um, like a nitpicky bullshit, right, is, like, fundamentally, like, a wrong way to approach things. Because I think there's a lot of actually nitpicky bullshit in Watchmen if you were to... Like, so, for instance, Adrian just, like... His password is Ramses Two, which is yeah. another name for Ozymandias, like he which is everyone knows that's him or whatever. When 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 Tan gets the password wrong, it's like, would you like to add a little bit more to this password to make it correct? You know what I mean? Like Adrian oh, yeah. just lets them all go at the very end. Like he murdered everyone else involved with the plot that understood the truth of the plot, but he's willing to let, you know, Dan and Lori and I mean John doesn't quite count, right? Well, he um, tried to kill John and he fucked it up. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> I, I, if there's anything that is my favorite Watchmen moment, it might be when John like bursts through the top of Kardak and he's like, "I'm very disappointed with you, Adrian." It's like, and he, he actually says an interesting thing, which is like, you know, it didn't kill Osterman why did you think it would kill me or whatever? Like the full disconnect between, you know, um, Dr. Manhattan as John is, is kind of complete or completed by that point. Yeah. No, my, my, my favorite moment is, is definitely, you know, Rorschach never compromise, even in the face of Armageddon followed by like, do it. And like, you know, just like a smear of blood, right? Like, it's just like, so, so, such high tension and so well executed like that. Like, but yeah, no, you're right. If if you wanted to apply this kind of like nitpicky bullshit filter to it, right? Like, I'm sure if if Cinema Sins was doing a you know a comic sins on this, there'd be like a thousand points about like the characters being inconsistent, right? Because yeah. like that's oh my god. <laughs> um, <sighs> yeah. I mean, really, I so I think Doctor Manhattan is like kind of ultimately my. I, I, I hesitate to call any of these people my favorite characters because I kind of find them all sure. loathsome to one degree or another. But I do think Doctor Manhattan might be my favorite character just because like he says some of the most interesting things. Um, this might be a little bit of like the movie and other aspects of it, right? Like, there's other, you know, they for for folks who don't know, there was a line of comics. I want to say in like. 2009 um there was like the before watchmen line of comics um everybody really shat on it at the time as kind of like a shameless cash grab but i actually give dc a lot of credit for how they handled it because they basically handed the they handed the titles to each of the books to extremely like well-regarded writers of their day um kind of like if if dc were to find the alan moore's of 2009 they would have done a pretty good job at highlighting those folks um and and i do understand that a bunch of the comics are very well regarded um some of them not so much but like so there's obviously like all this other peripheral watchman shit going on um and maybe that's the stuff that's like bleeding into my perception of dr manhattan a little bit but like you know just like the moment when he tells laurie he's like i told you that i was your that you were my only connection to earth 
and uh, and she says something, and he's like, "When you left me, I left Earth. How much more simple could it be? Just like stuff like that. It's just like, ugh, wow. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, like I said, I, I still I still think that like even though I think he's a flawed character, Rorschach is kind of the like I don't know. Maybe maybe it's kind of my 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 like. Uh, I think he aligns case. a lot with your morality. Is probably what it comes down to. I mean, not like like just his regard for the truth, not like his his. No, sure. I mean, if, <laughs> right, but in the same way that like you know, I think ultimately, right? Like, okay, if I were to pin it, I would say ultimately Ozymandias did the right thing, but obviously I wouldn't agree either. He is kind of the closest to, you know, my my own moral sensibilities. So I don't yeah. think anybody, you know, like there's gonna be one. I don't think anybody is really gonna be, you know. I mean, I mean, this is real. Like we, I don't know if we've talked about this on the cast, but like when we talk about the trolley problem, you almost always like flip the lever, and I will never touch the lever, right? So oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like which is exactly the Ozymandias thing. I mean, the Ozymandias yeah. thing is like blown up to a gazillion, right? Right. And you also have other pieces of it, right? Like this is part of what makes the the Black Freighter stuff interesting. Um, because it does suggest that Ozymandias is a little bit full of shit, right? And that he doesn't know what's best. And that he is, like like you were talking about, right? That he is um, kind of well, incorrect on his read of the situation. And effectively is just killing three million people for for nothing. In the same sort of delusional state that the, the shipwrecked... Uh, that the shipwrecked sailor is in when he goes and he kills his wife because he's convinced that she's a pirate. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the, the the kind of more obvious part of that is when he begs Dr. Manhattan to tell him if, if he was right and if he, like, um, and it, you know, if, if he made the right decision. And Dr. Manhattan's like, eh, whatever. And, like, flies I mean, away. Dr. Well, yeah, the, well, the interesting thing is that Dr. Manhattan says nothing ever ends, which I think part of it is... Um, War, War never kind changes. Of like a cyclical nature like you know maybe if i'm being charitable right you could say world war three was averted in this moment but that doesn't solve the world's problems yeah. right like this one thing being you know just because he talks about utopia right and like delivering the world onto you know this bright and prosperous future or kind of like whatever but just because you averted the nuclear catastrophe that was coming down the pike doesn't mean that you've solved every other problem in the world and and that's probably, you know, it's, like, probably where I come down on, on some of it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we haven't touched on, like, the thing that this that this is clearly the, the biggest, like, reference to, which is the Cold War, right? Like, that's, yeah. like, the whole point of this, of this book. It was also, like, um, uh, so I haven't seen the movie in a while, but I, over the break I was talking to my brother, because my brother's a big Watchmen fan, and he didn't like the movies. Like, they kind of missed the point. I didn't want to go into it with him because we both hadn't seen it in a while, but... Um, like that's just kind of like also a message change, right? Like I believe the movie was more about environmentalism. Whereas well, it, well, we could talk about it. Yeah, we, we, uh, we, we I, ha- I have I have a philosophy on the movie. I uh, see. I I don't think that the book is about the Cold War. I think the book is about superheroes, right? And that the sure. Cold War is kind of a like a strategic prop in a way. I mean, uh, it, it, when it comes it, to it that is, stuff, it, it is like a, a heavy criticism of it, though, right? Like, like. The reason that Doctor, like the reason that this everything's kind of on the, on like the uh, edge, uh, like as volatile is because of the Cold War and because Doctor Manhattan is being leveraged as a weapon against the Russians, right? Like that's mm-hmm. like the that's like the whole that's like kind of the inside, like that's that's what causes Adrian Foyt to plan 
to need to go into motion is the fact that Dr. Manhattan is basically the only thing that's holding everything in stasis, right? Like he's like, whereas in the real world, we had like actual, like an, an actual arms race. Like it was just Dr. Manhattan in the Watchmen universe, right? Well, okay. So I don't think that's quite true. Um, Ozymandias says this, but this is also kind of like corroborated in other spots. Um, most notably in that fourth issue, the back chapter is a paper that the guy who kind of essentially turned Dr. Manhattan into Dr. Manhattan, um, his like boss or whatever at the right. Flats testing facility, writes a paper and he talks about how like anybody who thinks that because Dr. Manhattan exists, the Russians won't be like, we, we won't hit Armageddon is fooling themselves because they don't understand the Russian psychology. And then it talks about like how they behave in world war two and right. And like all this other kind of um, sort of like mutually assured destruction stuff. And I think the book essentially sort of says that like whether or not Dr. Manhattan was there, things were going to escalate and the tensions were going to get sure an Armageddon level, no matter what. Right. Um, right. But, but, but that, that's also kind like, of like the fear of 19. Like that, that was like the contemporary fear when the book was published. Right. Like that was like, yeah, what yeah, was yeah, going sure. to happen. And like, yeah, I mean, like, nobody knew like the Berlin Wall was going to fall in three years. Right, and and the the thing the thing that Doctor Man the, the the kind of point that Doctor Manhattan or the thing that Doctor Manhattan does is that he's kind of like a piece of that arms race, but he's very easily removed immediately. Right, like when he goes to Mars, he kind of like it it'd be like I don't know like disappearing half of the United States nuclear arsenal all, all at once. Right, which would probably yeah. have had a similar effect in the in the. Cold War, but you can't do that, right? Like, you know, like, like that, or like that's much harder to do than, uh, than like disappearing a, a character. So I, I, I do think, that, like, I don't know, it just seems to run so heavily through it. I also think it's, it's a little bit hard for us to appreciate fully since, you know, we lived in kind of like the, we grew up in like the golden age of the 90s, right? Like, yeah, past, yeah. past that. Um, yeah, but, I mean, uh, we will never like a fee- like fear the kind of nuclear agar- Armageddon that like in the sixties and in the eighties, yeah, yeah. right? People were kind of like living under, um, in the same sort of way. Yeah, um, I mean, even certain other pieces of the book are are dated in that way. Like, crime was so much worse in the seventies and eighties, especially it is in now. New York. Yeah. yeah, especially like New York City now is like hip and trendy and super expensive, right? And like all this other sort of thing. But like, yeah, like New York City back then was really fucking shitty. People were getting mugged all the time. Um, and like it just creates a, a, a different kind of like context. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I am, I, I'm interested in, uh, in, in how like the, the show is set like, like in modern times. Com- yeah, so to... the show is in 2019, where all of the events of the Watchmen comic, including the Squid, um, are true. Okay. Uh, so it like picks up and goes. I mean, so there's an interesting. There's actually two sequel series because there's also the comic book, the Doomsday Clock comic book, and in both of the sequel series, they take a different approach to the ending, which I find kind of hilarious. It just illustrates the ambiguity of it. Um, uh, this is like background. I mean, do you want me to say anything yeah. about the show? Yeah, this is just background. Just information. don't spoil anything, really. Yeah, like, th- like. this is you know you learn this in like the first yeah, five yeah. seconds. Rorschach's journal in the show 
is not believed, right? It's published and people have it, but the people that do have it are, have it in the same sort of way that they would have like Elliot Rogers' manifesto. Do you right. know what I mean? It's like a conspiracy it's like theory. It's discredited and it's a conspiracy theory. In Doomsday Clock, it comes out and it unravels everything, right? Like the utopia that Adrian Veidt tried to build completely collapsed because immediately people, uh, you know, figured it out sort of thing so in a certain sort of sense like both ambiguities have been tested at least to my understanding i haven't read doomsday clock um uh so yeah. both sort of sides of that ambiguous ending is uh i don't know i feel like that's interesting no it, it definitely i'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about with, with, in two weeks when we when we get to the show um Yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, other, like, little shit. There's so much, like, little stuff that I never... The very first time that I read Watchmen, I somehow missed that the comedian was Laurie's dad. Yeah. I just, like, didn't kind of, like, connect those dots because of the way, like, it was written and I was kind of skimming, probably, or whatever. And I remember being very confused about all of that stuff (laughs) until, you know, like, rereading and being like, oh, I'm an idiot. I really obviously should have... uh, Yep, I should have uh, paid attention to that. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh it's it's kind of the it's it's the twist in that chapter, right? Like why would I cry? It's like and then like she kind of out of nowhere puts together the comedians her dad for like yeah, I guess like, you know, plot contrivance reasons, but it's 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 mostly fine. Um yeah. but uh I don't know. I, I think that's like a testament to like his good writing cuz like that's like an incredibly kind of human thing right that like yeah look like uh that uh the older specter i can't remember her name uh Su- susan maybe uh, um yeah, anyway what was her name sally uh, jupiter uh, sally yeah yeah uh you know that she that she almost like that she almost gets raped by this guy and then and, and then like goes back to him at some point right like mm-hmm. That's like it's like so incredibly human in like a in like a depressing way. And the way that she talks about it, oh god, the way that she talks about it is just like kill me now. Like because she's like, there's some part of me that's like, was it my fault that he that he was like raping me or whatever? And I was just like, oh Sally, please don't do this. But you know, you also like kind of like get it because it's obviously the 1940s and there isn't like you know feminism yet. You know what I mean? Like. People yeah, don't I, have uh, people don't have nuanced understanding of consent. Yeah, and and you know, like you know, not not to like, not 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 to say that it, that it, that it is her fault, but like just like the the fact that like like it, it, it almost kind of like a, a reflection. Of, I don't I don't know how to express this quite right, but like like she's selling kind of sex as part of her superhero personality, right? Like she's like basically yeah. a model. Um, and how that plays into kind of like her expectations of herself, if that may, I, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. it's, I, I mean, I think she's it's like, very human. A, yeah, it's very human, right? She's like deeply traumatized um, and is like having trouble coping and, and with, with some of this stuff, right? And this is part of what, like, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about the other folks, but in a certain sort of sense, Lori also kind of gets off because, like, she is the object in a lot of ways of other people's behavior right she's kind of less of like a protagonist affecting the plot than she is like a supporting character in kind of other people's plots and like 
she is tremendously fucked up by her mom and the and the world that her mom kind of like forces her to like submerge into and it just like kind of goes downhill from there and i think she's also you know shitty in a variety of other sort of like smaller sorts of ways but like at the end of the day in the same sort of way that like it's not rorschach's fault that he was like brought up in this shitty tenement and his mom was terrible and all this other sort of stuff right it's not Lori's fault that like her mom was uh you know forcing her into a life that she didn't want and she wasn't interested in basically because you know she wanted to redo it she wanted to you know have a uh, have like glory days in a sense yeah no absolutely living vicariously through your kid yeah um kind of in the same vein of like really human characters that i think we're talking about is uh moloch like the the the, oh, the yeah the, moloch the, is the, so tragic yeah and and like so so like kind of like well put together right like <laughs> and it's also kind of highlights like how nuts uh rorschach is but also that he's like also not like like th- this is like another thing that puts a soft dead edge on rorschach right like like he yells at moloch for having a gun without a license and for having an illegal drug um and moloch's like look i have cancer and nothing was working i tried anything and rorschach's like eh fine and like yeah. walks away right like he you know it, it's not like soft and tender right but it, it, it is it does sh- like it shows Rorschach not being like absolutely unreasonable, which um, I feel like Alan Moore went through a lot of work to make it so that Rorschach wasn't a complete psychopath, right? Like he only ever really hurts actually bad people, right? And and the dogs, right? But like that's, yeah. um, you know. Uh, that's it, like his dark oh, and also yeah. the psychiatrist, right? Like if that one really hurts fault, the psychiatrist. That's just kind of a like Rorschach is a black hole. Right, and anyone that comes near their their lives also suffer because of his suffering. Um, yeah, uh, honestly, like, that's not his fault, right? Honestly, the one good character, like the best character, quote unquote, in the book, might be the psychiatrist, because, like, you know, initially he's just treating Warshak to, to, you know, because he thinks he'll get famous off of writing mm-hmm. a paper or whatever. But then, like, like Warshak points this out to him, and like he does kind of go through a transformation because like the, the last thing, like, you know, before before he gets killed by the squid. Is he? He's like, I need to help these people. That that's how I am, right? Which I thought was well, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, this, I, I, I find that piece to be extremely deliberate, right? Like, these are the people that Adrian is killing, and they are sort of the most heroic, right? Like the newsstand guy who goes to help the cops who go to help the psychiatrist all of these people see something wrong and they say hey i need to do something about them like that's the heroism like that's the altruism of a superhero right, right. and they all die because of because of like adrian. adrian yeah yeah which is part of which is part of like the condemnation i think of him is that juxtaposition in a way and like and like i said i think you know you you'd also make Depending on how, I mean, I think someone could say that nuclear Armageddon wasn't going to happen or whatever, but like, I don't know what evidence in the text you could really point to that that wasn't the case, right? Like, obviously, the text is saying, you know, there is going to be war if things continue unchecked, and Adrian is that check, but like, that's what creates the paradox. He has to do it, but it's also terrible, and there is a bleak 
bleak moral costs associated with it that, you know, in my hypothesis in a way, sort of flips him from hero to villain in the way that, you know... I mean, Because yeah, he, he engineers the situation in the first place, right? Like him causing uh, Dr. Manhattan to, to leave mm-hmm. the Earth is what precipitates the kind of like the, the, the breaking of the, the stalemate in the first place. Yeah. Um, you know, how, how much of this is, is uh, what... Um, is, is, is how much of this is what like is this a problem that Adrian caused himself right like yeah um, and he is completely I mean another small bit that I always love about Adrian is uh, is the way he lets his secretary die uh, when when like the assa- he hires an assassin to come kill him oh, right right and the assassin just shoots the secretary with he that he's with. And then he, like, punches the guy and he puts the poison capsule in there or whatever. But then there's this small shot. It's like a tiny – it's like panel where he's sitting on the edge of the fountain and he continues the conversation as if the secretary wasn't just shot and probably killed. I mean she immediately slumps yeah. over and doesn't move. So I'm just going to assume that she's dead, right? He immediately continues the conversation with her as though that's, like, not the case. And, like, look, the, the conversation is, like, poignant because he says, like – Tell the tell the toy people to like cancel the line. I don't have any enemies or whatever, and it's like, you know, poetic in a way because of this just like happening. But like also at the same time, he's reacting incredibly callously to somebody dying right next to him, right? Yeah, and yeah. I think in Adrian's terms, right, like he thinks of those sorts of people as being expendable in the same way three million lives in New York are, you know, expendable. Um, so. Yeah, everybody sucks. Superheroes are wrong. <laughs> that's the, that's the story of Watchmen, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I mean, th- that is the like the, the stories that he originally wanted to do with the like on brand like they're all like off brand versions of regular superheroes because he wanted to do it with like Superman and Batman, right? Well, so okay, so this is what it is. Um, in the early in like the fifties and sixties when superheroes were getting huge, uh, there were a couple of other comics companies out there that were making their mark, and it wasn't just Marvel and DC. One of them is called Charleston Comics, and Charleston Comics had a bunch of characters, uh, Peacemaker, The Question, um, Blue Beetle, uh, and the and those care and the Charleston brand got bought by DC. Um, and Alan Moore pitched them on this with all of these characters, right? Instead of Doctor, or instead of, you know, Captain, or instead of Dr. Manhattan, it would be Captain Adam. Instead of Night Owl, it would be Blue Beetle, right? Instead of Peacemaker, it would be Comedian. And uh, instead of Rorschach, it would be The Question. Um, and uh, DC was like, this story you're pitching sounds great, but we don't want to, like, ruin the IP we just bought. Um, so, like, make some new guys. So he just kind of created these sort of, like, XBs. And, you know, this is also, like, before a lot of, like, the major scripting and stuff happened. So, like, obviously it transformed over time. It's not like you really could sub in Captain Adam for Dr. Manhattan. Anybody who knows Captain Adam in, you know, comics lore. Uh, like, Captain Adam is a is an Air Force pilot who, like, gets covered by this alien stuff and it lets him, like, manipulate radiation. He's very, he's a very right-wing hero. He In fact, he fights Superman a lot. Um, in situations where Superman fights the government, Captain Adam is, like, the government who, you know, like, opposes him or whatever. Um, so these things are definitely very much, like, inspired by Steve Ditko, who is the creator of the question, is, was, like, 
pretty hard right. Um, I think he was more a hard right, hard right like libertarian because I definitely know there's a lot of objectivist stuff in those question comics. Um, so maybe not quite in the same sort of like brutally sort of like fascistic lens uh, that uh, that Rorschach can be at times. Uh, but you know, Alan Moore is an anarchist. It, so maybe he just doesn't really care about like the political nuances between people like on the opposite end of the political spectrum. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, how do I, how do I want to, like what, what, what kind of anarchist is he? Uh, like, like a, like a left. I mean, it's like V for Vendetta. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, he thinks, okay. Um, he thinks the state and also money and is bad. So I guess like I don't know if that would be an an ncom. Yeah, it, 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 it it depends on like there's that this is a level of political theory that I'm not prepared to get into. Yeah, I mean uh, he's definitely not a capitalist, right? Like yeah, he yeah. hates capitalism, so that probably puts him somewhere on like the you know like an anarcho syndicalist maybe or syndicalists. It's like Noam Chomsky, right? Yeah, I mean like the I don't know I I know some or like they're they're. There are some agorists that I know of that like, like are are nominally libertarian, but like are actually like pretty libertarian in the belief set. But like, you know, share a lot of similarities with like anarcho-communists. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like, it's like horseshoe theory, and that, that's like a thing that's like probably best left to its own discussion at some later time. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, I don't know. If, do, do you have any any criticisms of, of the book? Do you think there's anything that's not done particularly well? That's a really good question. I don't know that I've ever even like considered it. To be honest, I think it's just like so good that uh, I don't know that I've ever even like stopped to think about criticisms. I think that's I fair. actually okay. That's not. Uh, I think there is a real weakness um, of the book in talking about some of the more sort of like complex. Uh, structural injustices in a way it pays a, it pays a little bit of lip service here, but I don't think it really like goes all the way or like where it should in in certain sort of aspects. Um, like I think the book really would have been better if there was like a black character who could call out. Do you know what I mean? Who could call out like the racism in someone like Rorschach's sort of positioning? Do you know what I mean? Maybe that's like uh, rewriting it. That's really an unfair criticism, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think I think you're. Right. I also don't like. I, I, I mean, do you, do you think Rorschach is racist? Like, oh, I, I mean, I, absolutely. Yeah. What What's your evidence for that? Like, there, there's 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 like nothing in the text that really supports that. Uh, I think the same sort of ambient racism that like like. Do you think the New Frontiersman is racist? Uh, like. That yeah, political pro- cartoon is pretty racist, yeah, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what no, I mean? Like, it's yeah, yeah. it's not a super damning thing, right? Like, the the most overtly racist person is, uh, what's his face? Uh, Captain Metropolis. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. He puts the, he, like, the black unrest in the middle of the country or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, I do think it is sort of, like, around the conversation, and it maybe deserves more of a... More, I think that's rewriting the book. I don't think that's fair. Yeah. I, I think that's just I'm try, I'm searching for something, and I really don't have anything. Is really the answer. Sure. No, and, and like you know, most of, most of the things that I like I thought were weak were like I don't want to say like they're not quite nitpicky, but like I like I said, I think that like uh, uh, that like 
they're just little things like Rorschach having a Rorschach mask and then doing Rorschach tests. I feel it's like a little bit on the nose, right? But it's it's not it's nothing like huge, right? Like there's just like little things that I think are. And it's like and it's like I think the book would suffer for the like those yeah. things in a way. Yeah, you know what yeah I mean, yeah. if you pulled them out. Um, and I actually I think that's most of it. I think there are weak things in there, but the book would ultimately suffer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like you know, for instance, I would maybe agree with that criticism of like fucking adrian's computer is like too easy to hack into or whatever and there's maybe like some better mechanism um that can be used to figure it out uh but at the end of the day right like the plot point that matters is that they figure it out and they go to karnak how they do so is like pretty unimportant um and you know and also, this is in the fucking 80s. Like, I hate doing this because I think it's like it's not a great yeah. way to, to, you know, criticize stuff. But, like, in the 80s, we had a lot less, like, this is before, like, PC and Mac were, like, a thing. They were just becoming things, you know. Yeah. And, uh, when Alan Moore a password? What's that? Yeah, exactly, right? Like, I, I just think it's, you know, I don't know. I think, honestly, one of the craziest things is that Alan Moore, this British writer who has lived, I'm pretty sure, in the same, like, I think he's just lived in the same house in Britain, like, his whole fucking life, um, was, could be so dead on about certain aspects of, like, American political culture. Like, the, I mean, like, I really want to emphasize how crazy it is that the, the New Frontiersman article does read just, just like a Breitbart piece. Like, even down to some of, like, the little rhetorical, like, there's, um, there's this one part where he's like, you know, this can only be the work of someone who's abandoned logic and reason, and I was just like, oh my god, like, he predicted Sargon of Akkad, you know what I mean? Like, he predicted YouTube skeptics or whatever, and, you know, know, that's obviously, he didn't, he obviously didn't do that, but just the the fact that he was able to acutely identify that that rhetorical strategy that gets used all the time, uh, I thought was, like, really amazing given the book is you know 25 years old yeah i mean i i no 35 years old jesus yeah yeah i I hazard to guess that some of that stuff was around when the book was being written right like i you know yeah polemicist media has been around for a long time uh, there's a certain amount of like political research that i've come to understand that sort of says like people in, in a sort of way like you and i because we entered into our adulthood in this way like we think of things as being new but they're kind of like not right and that in the same way that like the alt-right is like shitty or whatever well it's really just an outgrowth of the you know like the militia movements of the 90s which is really just an outgrowth of a whatever and just like histories and cycles body 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 that kind of thing yeah yeah i was gonna say i've definitely seen things that suggest that it's kind of sinusoidal right like like people grow more partisan and then grow back together, right? Like, the yeah. 90s were particularly well, like, less partisan, but, like, the t- like you know, like, the Red Scare and all that was particularly partisan, I believe, right? And mm. so, like, th- things things come and go. Um, uh, which uh, makes it probably a good time for this kind of sequel series, which we'll get into in a couple of weeks. Um, but, you know, and uh, next week's the movie. But that's probably all we got for this week, right? Now... Do you want to go move to weeks? Unless you had yeah, any sure. What, what's been going on? How's how's your life going? Um. So the big thing that I did this week over over the uh, the holiday uh, was I watched uh, the Irishman. Oh, um, see, I haven't yet, but that's because I kind of can't. 
I keep finding myself not having three hours of time, and I feel like I need to do that. I watched like the first like thirty minutes, and I was like, "Wait, I should do this when I'm not going to be leaving in a second. Yeah, um, it like before I watched, I saw someone tweet something like, "This movie could have been an hour and a half long," and I don't quite disagree with that criticism. It's kind of slow. Um, I don't think it's bad, right? I don't want to say that, but like, mm-hmm. there are moments that just kind of like. It's it's weird because it's like these moments that drag and trudge, but they don't feel that bad, right? It's not like I'm like mad about it. It's just at some points kind of like humorous, right? Like, um, like there's a conversation towards the middle end where like uh, Frank says to Jimmy Hoffa, like it is what it is, and like and and Jimmy Hoffa's like, what are you talking about? It is what it is. And these like like go in circles for like it feels like ten minutes. It's probably less than that, but mm-hmm. like. Um, like, I am forever just gonna say it is what it is, um, as like a, it's like a meme, uh, and hope that somebody gets it because I think it's hilarious. But like, I'm I'm, I'm literally sitting there, we're, we're, I'm sitting there with my brother and my dad. But my dad keeps falling asleep during it because he's like, what, what the hell is this, right? Like, oh like we, we, you know, it's it's like a Scorsese gangster movie. Like, dad will love this, right? And, and we're sitting there, with my brother and I are like, what the hell is this? And my dad's just like nodding off in the corner. Um, <laughs> uh, but we we just kept like you know like. Like, we're sitting there, like, laughing at some of this, like, weirdness. Um, uh, but it, it it is super interesting. Um, weirdly, the biggest – like, the, the single biggest weak moment is, like, there's, like, some action that's not convincing, which is a weird criticism to levy against the Martin Scorsese film. Mm-hmm. But, like, there, there's a moment where, where the main character, Frank, like, beats up a grocer – Oh my and, god! Okay, so I saw that moment, and it's so bad. But it's yeah. because Robert De Niro. It's like people talking about the face stuff to like de young or to de old him, and it's like that's cool. You know, like cool. All right, I'm on board. De olding people, you know, like fine. That you know, I, I, okay. But like, you can't put an 80 year old man in a 20 year old man's body, and so Robert De Niro at 80 with arthritis trying to like you know, curb stop this shopkeeper. I'm just like, you're not selling it, boy. You're not yeah. selling it at all. <laughs> no, but like, for the most part, it was fine. I thought the performances were pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like, um, the big three, you know, Pacino, Pesci, and De Niro, I thought did excellent jobs. Um, Joe Pesci, in particular. Um, I mean, it's crazy that he came out of retirement for this, right? Yeah. Um, but I, th- I, thought, it, I thought it was... Uh, I thought it was a a interesting film. I thought it was a, I thought it was uh I thought it was I thought it was good, not great. It kind of reminded me almost like in terms of like you know uh in in terms of like pacing being a little bit off, but the story being pretty solid of of uh what was it? Silence, the 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 movie with uh with 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 Adam Driver, the Oh, like, yeah, the, see that's funny cuz I loved Silence was my favorite movie that year. Yeah, no, I, I so I like 2017. Um, and so I, I don't think it was like in the same way that like Silence kind of felt like it was dragging a bit. Um, at least it, it felt like that to me in in some places, like or at least uh. it felt like long, right? Like it, it's it's this weird thing that that I, I guess I've only seen these Scorsese movies where it feels like it's over long, but it doesn't make it bad, right? Like it's or it's not as bad as it usually is when that happens. Um, I don't know, uh, but I, I definitely recommend that you see it if you're a fan of Scorsese and a fan of cinema. Um, 
I feel like this is it starts to tend into the like you know no like Netflix doesn't give notes. No one told Martin Scorsese what he couldn't do. Um, the only thing that felt like weird is that like it felt like he wanted to name the movie. So I heard you paint houses because that's like the title card and the end card. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's called the Irish, you know, like the, the name of the movie is ostensibly the Irishman. Um, there's also some weirdness. Like there's like a double frame for most of the movie. Um, uh, and it, but I, I thought it was ultimately satisfying. I, I would, like I said, I'd recommend it. Um, not for the action though, uh, for the characters and for the, uh, tension, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Uh, have you been playing the games? Uh, destiny and death stranding, but I've talked about most of those things kind of to death. So I don't know how much I want to go into it. The season of, I, I got, I got my undying title, um, so there's there's that I've I've completed all of the major things in uh in Destiny two we can go back to this if we've got time at the end but what about you what about- uh I've been playing a lot of StarCraft co op <laughs> so they released the new commander um which is Arcturus Mengsk and uh, and they've just really gone crazy I almost sort of wish that they did this in a PvP sort of sense, like you could play these different sort of commanders in PvP scenarios. I do understand that they have done that before. I think that's their April Fool's thing. Um, But it's kind of like really neat to see the sort of uh, like reinterpretations, I guess I would call it, of different, uh, like of that classic Zerg, Protoss, Terran sort of like structure, um, depending on like the different uh, commander that you're playing, right? Like, so Mengsk is a Terran, uh, but he doesn't use SCVs. He uses what are called, like, laborers. And the laborers, you know, they come out, and then you can swap them into troopers, which are his marine. And they're worse than marines. Um, but they're really cheap. They're really expendable. And uh, and then all of his other units, like a marauder, a siege tank, a battle cruiser, all of that stuff is really powered up. So he kind of has, like, better than normal premium units and shittier than normal kind of like basic units because typically you know like when you're making uh you know when you're when you're uh making an army you're kind of like filling in with a couple of different like oh i'm gonna have a couple of these couple of those um and so there's just like this stark difference between how terrible those troopers are versus how amazing the royal guard units are and how much like they are a premium and you want to protect them and stuff like that because it costs just like so many like resources but he also has all of these other pieces to it right like um something that most commanders have are sort of these cooldown abilities so uh for mengsk he can do a couple of them one of them is like a nuclear annihilation where he shoots 40 nukes at a position on the map right um he he has another move that summons a bunch of zerg and these are all you know like obviously callbacks to different you know uh aspects of kind of like his character and the way that he's been characterized over the course of starcraft but they're really playing with a lot of interesting mechanics and it's made me think a lot about how i engage with pve and pvp systems um because like something that's become kind of clear over the last couple of months is that like in a lot of situations where I'm presented with a PvP and a PvE way of playing. I almost always choose the PvE way of playing. And I think part of that is that the games are bigger and more fun because they are allowed to be less fair. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I, I get that. Um, 
if if you're if you're like if you're playing against another person, then things have to be much more well balanced. And there's also kind of like I think uh, there's there's a there's a a, a desire to push things towards like the faster winning strategies, at least by some people. Or if somebody's mm-hmm. doing that, you have to be able to successfully counter that. And at some level, they'll be able to succeed at some points. But yeah, I, I definitely get what you're saying. Yeah, because uh, I don't know. It's just like something that's been on my mind. I also think that, like, in general, um, uh, you know, there there are PvP experiences where you can kind of, like, get there. Like, so, for instance, in, in, like, a League of Legends or even, like, a Hearthstone sort of situation, right? Like, those games are built to snowball in certain ways, right? Where when you are ahead, you get to stay ahead and you get to be more ahead in a way. Uh, like like in Hearthstone, this is like board control stuff. Um, in League of Legends, this is like you have money, you have experience, kind of like whatever else sort of thing. And at that point, like in a certain sense, you're kind of fighting bots that have incredibly advanced AI in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like... In League of Legends, especially if you have, like, all the chats turned off or whatever, right? Like, what is the real difference between me playing some rando mid and me playing a bot that has an AI that is as advanced as that rando is mid? Well, the answer is not a ton, in a way. Um, And I think there are people that definitely do, like, kind of feed off of that competition. Like, I have plenty of friends. I You know, we have plenty of friends who are enticed by games because of that competition they want to hit the leaderboards they want to be number one um kind of thing like that's the reason that they play and playing against a bot is just like a hollow victory for them but i think that like it kind of speaks to two different ways in which players are kind of like engaged by sort of like the systems themselves do you know what i mean yeah i mean i i think i think that your point holds the most true when like you're playing against a bot that's supposed to be another player in the same way, right? Like, this has been my, my uh, like, why I don't like playing single-player Civ as much anymore just because, like, the AI is, like, has to cheat to be, like, decent and, like, they're supposed to be, like, other players and I don't think it's as good. But, like, the thing, the kind of thing that you're talking about where, like, it's an asymmetrical game and that allows the, the like, an asymmetrical just in, in more things than just kind of the... Uh, the base way, uh, you know, yeah. and, and kind of like the base resources or whatever. I, I think that that makes it. Uh, I, I think that that really highlights the difference and makes it makes it better. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, something that's interesting. I mean, so in the grand tradition of Blizzard adding Mythic Plus systems to everything, they just added Mythic Plus to StarCraft. Uh, <laughs> in the StarCraft co-op mode, there's something called uh, mutators, which are like random things that do stuff on the map that you have to kind of like deal with and they make the maps harder right um so like a mutator might be like all of the enemy units are cloaked right or an enemy unit will be a reanimator where it is constantly reanimating units you kill right or an enemy unit will be plagued and when it dies it explodes plague and it will just tick down your units health until they die and then they you know like then that plague spreads um and so there's there's a couple of different you know like which are just sort of affixes right um in the same way that diablo 4 is going to have affixes in the same way that wow has affixes on mythic plus um and uh and i and because of this there is a lot of talk 
in the nascent StarCraft II co-op community that I am just, like, mining now. But, like, there's this whole community and, like, a meta and, like... Built like people understand sort of like builds and to you know I mostly have been playing this game with my you know like with my wife we're playing normal and hard on the champions that we have like most leveled um so like I'm very outside of this sort of like meta but they have all of these sort of like terms for things and everything and I you know and so to a certain extent I used to sort of think that like there is a there there is a community around some of this sort of stuff um in like the sense that you know payday has a community um or pvpers in wow have a community that's different than like pveers in wow um but i almost sort of think that the presence of that community meaningfully affects the games and their design a lot because that's how what creates like the pre- the presence of the community is what creates the presence of the meta game is what creates the presence of the ability for the players to sort of dictate what is and isn't fair to the developers in a way. Do you know what I mean? And, um, and I think that stuff actually kind of like runs counter to the sort of motivation of engagement that I'm like laying out where, you know, part, part of what's fun about the Starcraft stuff is that I don't know what's coming up next, right? Like when I'm leveling Alarak from level five to level six, I don't know what level six's upgrade is going to be until I like read it, until I get there, until I play with it, and it can really like change up the way that I'm interacting with like him as a commander or any of the other commanders. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's nuts. This is so weird. Yeah, no, uh, I, 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 I definitely, I definitely get what you're talking about. Uh, like it's. I don't know. I don't know if I have a lot to add to that, but I, I, I definitely get your point that like kind of these communities drive a lot of engagement, right? Like, like I think the best example is from kind of the PvE side would be something like Dark Souls, right? Like, while there's a PvP scene to that, right? Like, the game is such a cult hit because there's a lot of uh, community around it that builds into kind of like this the co-op elements also, mm-hmm. but also like the the like I don't know of any other game or any other series of games that's kind of like built so much around like perfect runs or like increasingly arcane versions of runs that let you do different things. Um, and I think that's just because there's like a lot of community enthusiasm for them, but I, I, I definitely, I definitely take your point. I also think that it's about earning stuff. Uh, I have come to kind of realize how motivated I am about, you know, earning rewards for the, for the gameplay, right? Like I, I'm having a lot of fun playing Starcraft two right now, but like there is something special to looking at this field of different commanders and saying, oh, well, I'm only level 9 and I could get to level 15, which is, like, max level. But then after max level, there's, like, all these other sorts of things that you can – you start earning points and the points give you upgrades in other sorts of places, kind of like uh, – kind of actually like Paragon points from Diablo. Um, and so there's a part of me that's the, – the, that, you know – I'm doing it to enjoy the gameplay, but I'm also doing it because I want the rewards at the end. And that's like a feedback loop that is much more powerful than I had kind of initially understood um, or realized to to be the case, right? Like, at the end of the day, I like the gameplay of StarCraft 2 a lot, but I don't really like it for its own sake 100%. You know what I mean? Like, there's a part of me that also likes it because it is giving me 
stuff that I can use in my next run, right? Like, and this is something that is also true of like the Hearthstone single player content, right? Like you are unlocking different deck archetypes, you're unlocking different hero powers, you're clearing, you know, um, as you're sort of like progressing through stuff, it's the same thing with like World of Warcraft, right? Like, is it the minute to minute running around hitting the things, you know, hitting my buttons that's like fun and engaging or the, you know, the coordination with my team that's fun and engaging or is it the the rewards at the end of it getting mounts, getting gold, getting, you know, artifact power to become stronger to get more mounts and gold and items and all this other sort of stuff that like drives you. Um, and I think in a lot of ways I sort of like underestimated uh, that stuff. Yeah, no, no, I, 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 I mean, like that that progression kind of loop is is kind of been kind of injected into almost every game, right? It's even in our in our first person shooters at this point, right? Yeah. Like, um, so it's de- definitely driving the engine. Hell, it's been driving me through Destiny too, right? Like, I need I needed to get that Undying Seal. Um, uh, I need I wanted to get that title, and I was going away in a week, so I had to I had to like get on that horse and grind it out. But I, I definitely. I see, and I also find that really interesting because, like, okay, you you want to get that title, right? Right. And that's what and that's what matters. And I think there's an argument. Like, if I showed this, to, if I showed stuff like my my achievements to my grandma or something, she'd be like, "Buddy, what are you doing with your life? Come on, none of this shit matters." But I would show, but I could show it to you, right? If I get the Brutosaur mount, right? And I showed it to you or to other people who know WoW and understand and be like, oh, like, that's legitimately impressive, right? Like, buddy works to get the gold to get this mount and, you know, it is it is what it is. But, like, it, it, that's something that just holds zero value among other people. Um, and it even holds zero value among other gamers, right? I know people in wow that are really motivated by titles they like want to have the different titles but even though i'm extremely motivated by mounts of which i have more than 300 i'm motivated by items right like like item sets in like transmog i have never been motivated by a title in my life and so people are like hey buddy like do you want to come do some achievement runs of this thing we're trying to get the like you know of the forgotten depths title i'm like i could be there's no way in the world that I'm interested in that. But then I'm also sitting there like farming old raids to try and get 1% mount drop rates. Like what the fuck? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, that's kind of like a, a pick your own way to play type of thing. But yeah. uh, What is it about the title that attracted you? Um, I mean, part of it's the exclusivity part of it, right? Like that it's going away. Um, uh, actually, this, this was the thing I, I wanted to go into a little bit. Part of it is something that I think that Bungie does that's extremely smart is it ties, like, purchasable real-world rewards to some of these in-game achievements, right? Mm. Like, by doing that, I am now eligible to buy a little medallion um, that set, that's, like, the season of the Indying Medallion, and you can only buy that if you've gotten the achievement. I mean, Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. The medallion is a real medallion. Yes. Like, they're going to uh, mail a bronze medallion to your house. Yes, but I have to gotcha. pay. Like, I, it's like a piece of it's like something you buy off the store, right? Like, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know they're usually a little bit overpriced, but they're neat. But like, if you don't have it, the price shows up as like nine hundred ninety nine million dollars, right? Like all nines for the price. Yeah. Um, but if you do it, you get a you get a you get a code, and you can use that code to buy the uh, to to reduce the price. Like, I did the Pit of Heresy, um, like oh within the God. first couple of weeks of it coming out, um. 
and it unlocked my ability to buy a foam hive sword. I was like, oh boy, I was going to buy it, but then it was $170. I was like, fuck that. I don't need a foam sword for that much money. But No, like, but like, so that's really interesting because, yeah. and I almost sort of wonder, like, there's a tinfoil hat here, but I almost sort of wonder if this sort of like drove a wedge between Activision and Blizzard. I was immediately thinking, I was like, oh, that would be, like, really neat. Like, I wonder if Blizzard could do something like that. But then I realized that they couldn't. Because as soon as they ever created a real-world item that was fungible in a way, because they have Battle.netbucks or whatever, um, they would be breaking gambling laws, right? Because, like, the way the – you know, like, part the, – the main defense of all of this loot box stuff, the main defense of it – that it, it's not gambling is that you can't turn it into real money, right? It is all internal to the system. And that system includes other Activision games because I can turn that stuff oh. into gold. Or I can turn, like, okay, I do a world quest. I complete my emissary. My emissary pops a box. That box gives me 5,000 gold. I take that gold. I turn it into Battle.netbucks, and I use that Battle.netbucks to buy whatever, destiny 2 and then this stuff is in the destiny store and i could then use that money to like buy a real world medallion all of a sudden i've broken those laws right well okay yeah. actually now that i've said it so, all out loud there is a like a blizzard like gear store so maybe there is a way that they can like hide it behind i can't use battle yeah, Next money to buy a blizzard shirt yeah and, um, and the <coughs> the bungee stuff has always been in bungee's individual store so there's probably also that that wall there mm-hmm. but uh but to your point, which I think is a little bit more salient than the gambling point, is like that's a way for Bungie to monetize the game that Activision can't get a piece of, right? Like uh, you know, like or like that is outside of the Activision ecosystem, right? Like you're, you're not buying like you know Activision uh, uh, bucks or you know it's not going it's going straight to Bungie, so it's and it's like probably a bigger driver of but engagement than like the Eververse stuff, which is incredibly like I've never seen anybody complain about these things. I've but people are incredibly mad about the Eververse stuff, so it's interesting. Yeah, I mean it's funny, like I've talked about this a little bit, but the more that I come to understand the pricing models in other games, the more I find the pricing models in the games that get like high amounts of attention, like Blizzard games, Activision EA, you know, like to be like Wow, they are not so bad. Uh, I I had a I had a recent. I'm I mean I guess I'm sort of subtweeting them. I won't talk about it. Uh, but I recently looked into a mobile game. Um, yeah, I mean it's just awful. It's just god awful. It's like how the fuck. I was almost like sort of excited for this game because it was kind of like in my wheelhouse a little bit. But then I started like looking into the monetization of it, and I was like, well, obviously I'm not playing this ever at all. Um, I mean like. <laughs> I do think the real paragon of uh, of this stuff is the sort of DLC model. People even complain about it, but I think the DLC model of Paradox Games, Total War Games, right, is probably, like, the healthiest that it can be. Um, I don't think that it could sustain, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think you could make... I don't think you could transfer uh, huge IP sorts of things, like Call of Duty to that, just because those games have huge price tags attached to them. Or, well... Maybe Call of Duty is a bad example. But just, like, huge, huge games that have huge, huge price tags attached to them, it's a lot harder to sort of, like, get that uh, get that monetization model in there. Um, which is why, you know, stuff like Overwatch is buoyed by loot boxes. Um, but, you know, it's rough, man. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, the good news is indie games are great, and people should go buy a bunch of indie games. Uh, not that I'm uh, announcing anything. There's no uh, there's no new Akapara announcements. I'm sorry, guys, but. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not associated with Akapara, and uh, I also like indie games, ones that are, even aren't published by Akapara. Um, did I get? Have I like dipped my toes? I bought Disco Elysium on the Steam sale. Oh, people and have been talking a lot about Disco Elysium. Yeah, I've also yeah. been playing. I mean, speaking of Paradox games, I've also been playing a lot of BattleTech. Um, I have lost three games so far playing Iron Man because I just want to. I, I typically give up. I play an Iron Man campaign until I give up or until I die, and then I give up and I play a normal campaign after that. But this time I was just like feeling really stubborn about it, and so I started a second one. And I actually got a lot farther in my second Iron Man campaign, but then I died. And I will argue that the reason I died was very bullshit. But um, uh, th- now I'm on my now I'm on my third one. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, I think there's, only, there's there's something about like sort of the philosophy of like the Iron Man playthrough. I really feel myself making very different sorts of decisions because I know I can't save scum. And I feel shitty because I've always sort of said I wasn't that sort of person. But now that I'm in the moment, I am absolutely that sort of person. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, no, I, I, I definitely I definitely get that. Uh, yeah, like... I, I know that with me, like, sometimes, like, when I'm playing Iron Man, like, there, there's this meme for Crusader Kings, right? It's like, you in, in order to get the achievements, you need to play an Iron Man. But apparently, if you, like, end the task with the task manager, instead of quitting out of it, you can, like, like save scum it. And so, like, that's, like, a thing that people do in, in the thing. It's like, ah, yeah, you know, as much as I want to hate that, I, I definitely relate to it, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> It's funny because I think of myself as being a kind of like I will definitely take a loss in a campaign. Uh, like this, this happens in Total War all the time, right? I'm playing Total War. Total War doesn't even have an Iron Man mode, but Total. I'm playing Total War. I run into a battle and I'm like, oh, I'm not sure I can win this. Fuck it, let's do it. You know what I mean? And then you lose, and it's like, okay, well, you know, like that was a very like fair kind of. Uh, that's kind of like a very fair loss. But the thing that I've come to realize is that I give myself a lot of like mulligans in a way we should do a podcast episode on iron man mode because there will be situations where i'm like oh well yeah that's completely unfair i didn't know he was gonna move his army there or whatever else sort of thing and i'll go and i'll save scum real quick um (laughs) or like you know there are times when i think the computer will do bullshit things and i'll be like well if the computer is gonna do this bullshit thing i am going to save scum and it's like when you're in a position where you can't do that stuff uh, you know, it is, uh, it, it, it makes you reevaluate yourself a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it, 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 def- it definitely puts the pressure on. Um, see the, the thing that happens with me sometimes is like, I'll be like that, but then like, you know, I'll be like, I'm doing Iron Man and something won't go my way and I'll restart the entire game. And just like... <laughs> That's funny. Which is probably why I like roguelike so much, because that's basically the whole point of those games. Yeah, it's basically Not the foundation I think, of roguelikes. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I um, mean, it's funny. It's also funny because I am so willing to take... This happened to me the other day. I was playing I was playing in Battletech, and, uh, and in Battletech, if you ever destroy the head unit, the pilot dies or is incapacitated. Yeah. Um, 
and the mech immediately ceases to function. And so right at the start of the, I was on an assassinate mission. In an assassinate mission, you, um, you're trying to kill a mech, and typically the mech is, like, really powerful. You're, like, a bunch of medium mechs, and it's, like, a heavy mech or something like that. And it was in this assassination mission, and I had been fighting the heavy mech, and he had a little escort, and I'd been fighting his escort or whatever. And I just kind of haphazardly shot the heavy mech, and I hit his head unit, and it exploded, and the heavy mech died. And I was like, oh! What? Well, there's a 2% chance for that to happen. And, you know, just one out of 50 shots. Oh, I'm just having a good day. And then, like, two weeks later or whatever, a couple of days later, I'm playing. And the same thing happens, but to one of my guys. Like, at the very start of a combat, this dude attacks me with these long-range missiles. And the missiles just, like, hit my head unit. And the head explodes. My pilot dies. And I'm immediately down. Before I've even, like, encountered the enemy, basically. This is bullshit. I'm just like, this is bullshit. <laughs> Fuck this game, you know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah. No, I, t- I totally get that. I think it's just, like, Dunning-Kruger, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, or, I mean, there's there's also, like, perception of random mods. It's like, uh, it's a real thing that, that humans have, have, uh, have a problem with. Yeah. Right? Like, this is, like, this is, like, XCOM is very good about, like, actually having the chances work out. So, like... This is why, like, it's, like, 90% chance to hit with a shotgun at, like, adjacent range. Pow! Miss! Fuck! Right? Like... Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that, ha- that has also happened to me quite a... Cause, you know, obviously, XCOM does the same sort of thing. Or, I'm sorry, uh, obviously, Battlestick does the same sort of thing. But, you know... Yeah. Ooh, woof. Yeah, but, um, I think that's all we have time for, right? Like, yes. uh... Alright, well... In that case, if you'd like to email us about what you thought of The Watchman or The Irishman or uh, whatever Buddy was talking about, because I'm, I'm doing well, um, you can email us at podcast at subdurthplaygames.com or uh, subdurthplaygames at gmail.com. You can follow us on twitch.tv slash subdurthplaygames. Uh, you can donate to us on Patreon, rate and review us on uh, uh, wherever good podcasts are found. Um, and I think that's everything I had. Do you have anything else you want to promote? Okay, uh, so I have nothing else that I want to promote but I do want to uh, establish this. There's, I think there's three different cuts of Watchmen. I'm trying to like look where they might be. Uh, oh yeah, there, there, there's the like I was playing and watching the ultimate cut. Is that yeah? The, right the ultimate cut. The ultimate cut is the best. The theatrical cut is. I mean, it's a Zack Snyder movie. The theatrical cut is the worst of them. The director's cut is better. The ultimate cut is the best of them. Um, what, what's the difference between the director's trying- cut and the? Uh- so they they also did a companion. So okay, uh, in the Watchmen movie, there is no Tales of the Black Freighter, like the theatrical cut. And in the director's cut, there's also no Tales of the Black Freighter. But they did release the Tales of the Black Freighter as a standalone like piece or whatever. So I'm pretty sure the ultimate cut. I don't remember. Um, I'm pretty sure the ultimate cut threads in the Tales of the Black Freighter inside of the director's cut. Um, I remember watching it and thinking it was the best, but I like I might be wrong. So there, there, there you go. That's my there's there. All right, yeah. So so to be clear, we're going to be doing the ultimate cut next week on the show. Hopefully, it will be on time, and uh, I won't be lazy again. Uh, And uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.